Let me tell you a story. I just recently had the privilege of sitting down and listening. I, I've known this girl since she was just a munchkin. I mean, just uh, one of those girls that you fall in love with early at the church. And uh, she came from a very dysfunctional family. Um, father was abusive. Father was not a Christian. Mother was doing her best. And as she grew, the dad just berated her constantly, accused her of things constantly. As a matter of fact, he came to the church one day because he was angry with me for some things that um, he'd heard that I had preached about and about children. You know, you have to put your trust in God. And sometimes if you have an unsaved parent, they may try to get you to do things that God's Word forbids. And boy, he came by and just began to graphically tell me what he was going to do with certain parts of my anatomy. And um, I just finally just looked at him and said, listen, when he started swearing and he just got angry, and I said, you need to make one of two choices. One, you either need to challenge God and do what you're going to do to my anatomy, or two, you need to get out of here right now. And later on, he repented. He came back and apologized, and he admitted he wasn't a very good dad. But that didn't change. He would call his daughter all kinds of horrible names. Make a long story short, she called me. They moved away. She called me just recently, and we sat down and we talked. She'd been through a series of relationships because all she ever wanted was for somebody to love her, for a man to love her. She was on her third marriage now, and she said, I remembered my faith. I remembered church. I remembered your messages. I remembered our youth and children's ministries. And she came back to the Lord, committed her life to the Lord. She's in her third marriage. Her husband came to know the Lord. They were $100,000 in debt. And um, she said, I remembered your preaching about finances. And so I met with her and her husband. They, um, wow, what a story. They chose instead of bankruptcy, they chose to trust God. And let me just bring it real quick together because I've got another story I want to tell you in just a few minutes. They began to make godly decisions with their finances. He lost his job, she lost her job, and they started with what they had and built two separate businesses. They not only paid off their $100,000 in debt, their house is almost paid for now. They have two thriving businesses. They have started a halfway house for abused men and women. They have two houses that they have started their own ministry in, and they are pouring back into other people's lives. God is the God of the impossible. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? He's the God of the impossible. And so I'm saying that you may be in a place where you're, you're just ready to give up. You just feel like you've, you've failed. You've had multiple marriages, multiple relationships. You're, you're deep in debt, and you can see no way out. And I just want you to know, with God, all things are possible. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? With God, all things are possible. The possibilities are absolutely unlimited. So I'm going to ask you if you just would stand with me this morning. I want to read you two passages of Scripture. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Matter of fact, read this aloud with me. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Now, think about that this morning. God is working in you. God is at work in your life this morning. Somebody say amen. 
And what is he doing? He's giving you the right desires. Matter of fact, when we took the offering just now, some of you may have thought, I would love to give. I would love to tithe, but I can't. But there's this desire, and you've got a part of you saying, I can't, and you've got another part of you that I want to. That's God moving in you because it's just not natural to want to give your money away. Can you say amen to that? But he also says he gives you the power to do what he put the desire in your life to do. So let's read that one more time. And where it says you, you use the word me. And I'll use the word me. Let's read it together. For God is working in me, giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Somebody say, come on, victory this morning. I mean, that's exciting when you read it like that. He's working in me. Look at Proverbs 27 and verse 20. Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. What's he saying? Our carnal, our selfish desires are never satisfied, but if we will trust the desires that God gives us that line up with his word, we can live fully satisfied lives. We can live as passionate followers of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, in the precious and the holy name of Jesus, I just ask you to speak to each of us, encourage each of us. Lord, some are being faithful with little, some are being faithful with much. Some, Lord, are growing in their faith. I pray you will meet each of us where we're at. Give us the desire and give us the confidence that you will give us the power to do what pleases you. May we never give in to self-interest. May we always, Lord, seek the kingdom of heaven first. For it's in your name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't know if you know who Jim Cimbala is. Jim Cimbala pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle. You may have heard the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And sometimes when I'm driving and I just really want some inspiring mass choir music, I will put on the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir and I'll just listen to it. And if I'm by myself, I'm kind of like some of these teenagers you hear when you pull up to the traffic light and the car is vibrating. I, I just crank it up and I sing those songs. And, and part of what thrills me about the Brooklyn Tabernacle is these are people that have been reached on the streets. These are the people that you and I would probably feel such compassion for, but they give their hearts to Christ. God changes their lives there in Brooklyn and just begins to do miracles in their life. And their choir has been noted on every single stage, not only in America, but the world. It's my understanding they even sang for the Queen of England while she was still living. Just a powerful, powerful choir. But I was listening to Jim Cimbala speak one time. We were in Florida, and we went to hear him preach. And Jim was talking about, you may be in a place where you don't have anything right now. And he said, let's just be honest. He said, in the kingdom of heaven, there are some people who are blessed with 10 talents. There are some people who are blessed with five talents. And then there are some people only blessed with one talent. But what you do with your talent is what matters. You don't compare yourself with somebody that has 10 talents if you have one talent. You don't compare yourself to somebody with one talent if you have five talents. You just simply use what God has blessed you with to, for the glory of God. And he said, maybe some of you are like the people that I pastor in Brooklyn. He said, you're living on manna. 
In other words, you're living day by day by day. That's where you started at in Christ. You're just living day by day. And he says, God told the children of Israel, I'm going to supply your needs on this journey. But he says, in the morning, you'll go out and gather manna, but don't gather more than what you need. Because if you do, it's going to spoil. It's going to rot. And he said, some people would always try to gather more than what they needed. and It would spoil and rot. And then God would do another miracle on the, the Sabbath day. You gathered enough the previous day for two days, and it didn't spoil and rot. He says, the lesson I want you to take from that is start where you're at. You may be living with just enough from day to day, but if you will obey God, if you will follow God, He's leading you to a land of milk and honey where there is abundance. And I think that's the thing we need to remember is that each of us, God is leading us on a journey. Now, last week, I could sum up last week's message with this sentence that I wrote for you this week. Money is personal, money is powerful, and money has potential. And you say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, we talked about this last week. Money is personal. We talk about everything else but our money. Have you ever noticed that? We talk with every. Today, you talk about things you used to wouldn't talk about. People talk about sex. They talk about perversion. They talk about everything else in public, and they celebrate it. But no one wants to talk about the personal issues, the struggles they may be having. Some people really want to hide their success with money. And so money is personal. It represents our work. It represents choices and decisions we made. That's the reason I'm entitling today's message, making good choices, making godly choices. Money is powerful. If you don't think money is powerful, people steal for it, people kill for it, people work themselves into an early grave for it. Money has really powerful influence on people. But money also has potential. We talked about last week how that God can take our tithes and our offerings. He can transform that into food for the hungry, clothing for the naked, healing for the sick. There's just so much that God can do with our money as we commit it to Jesus Christ. Look at James chapter 3 and verse 16 with me this morning. The Bible says this, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. What's he saying to us there? If we allow jealousy comparing ourselves, if we allow jealousy if envying what somebody else has, if we allow that to invade our lives by comparing ourselves, eventually there will be disorder in our finances. It is not anyone else's business what your address is, what you wear, where you choose to send your children to school at, you make your decisions based upon what you prayerfully believe God is calling you to do and not comparing yourself or letting somebody else pressure you into decisions that you don't want to make. The Apostle Paul said something that I think is just powerful in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. He said, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now, in that same passage, Paul says, I know how to abound, but I also know how to be abased. He said, I know what it means to have plenty, and I know what it means to have little. And I'll promise you that in this congregation and those watching online, there are those of us, we know what it means to abound, and we know what it means to have little. 
And by the way, if you're young, can I just say this? There's no shame. There's no shame in starting out with little. Learn to be content. One of the things that when I talk to young couples before I marry them and, and we're looking at finances, I'll say, you're going to have to make a choice real quickly. And that choice is, are you going to invest in a nice apartment or a nice house, or are you going to invest in your marriage? Because if you invest into an apartment that is more than you can afford because it's all modern and it's all new, it's got all the appliances, and yet you can't afford to have a date, you can't afford to go out, you can't afford to go on a marriage retreat, you're investing in an apartment rather than investing in your marriage. I say, you may look at some apartments that you can afford and give yourself margin, listen, give yourself margin where you can go out and enjoy life together. And I said, at this apartment, you may have to call the exterminator or buy that buck spray yourself and spray around the baseboards. If you've been there, say amen. Amen. Some of us have been there. But you live in a place where you've got margin. Now, your friends may go, oh, that's nice. I'm glad you have that. You're investing in your marriage, not in your friends. Paul's saying, learn to be content. Circle that word in your outline, learn. You have to learn contentment. And then in Proverbs 9, 6, the Bible says this. Leave your simple ways behind, begin to live, and learn to use good judgment. In other words, people who complicate their lives financially are simple people. People who learn to live simply are wise people. And remember, we talked about that last week. If we're going to choose to be generous people, we have to learn how to live a simpler lifestyle. We don't take all of our assets or all of our income and tie it up into stuff. One of the men in our church started attending here at Woodland not long after I became the pastor. Recently, we had lunch together, and he says, Pastor, Right after we started attending, he said, I had never been able to have a devotion, a regular, consistent devotional time in my life. He said, I would go weeks without a devotional. And he says, my wife would say to me, you really need to have a devotional. And he said, I made some poor choices from time to time. And he said, I blamed it on God. He said, but in that message, you said, if you want to become wise, if you want to simplify your life, read a chapter from Proverbs every day. And you told us how you read a chapter from Proverbs every day. And then you said Billy Graham read a chapter from Proverbs every day. He said, and I thought if you could read a chapter from Proverbs every day, and Billy Graham could read a chapter from Proverbs every day, I could read a chapter from Proverbs every day. And so for almost 24 years, he has been reading a chapter from Proverbs his life has turned around, his marriage turned around, his finances turned around. He says, Pastor, I know how to make good decisions because I've been applying the principles of Proverbs. God is not expecting you to go out there blindly. God gives you a whole book, a chapter for each day of the month that you can read and learn how to be wise. Isn't that good of God's? I mean, that's wonderful of God. And you don't have to buy a $1,000 self-help course from somebody on TV. You just simply pick up your Bible and read God's Word every single day. Let's give him a hand of praise for that. I'm grateful for Proverbs. 
So what do we do with all this? Number one, choose a godly plan and not wishful thinking. How are we going to apply this? First of all, we're going to choose a plan. Early on in life, and when I was in my early 20s, one of my mentors said to me, learn how to work a problem out on paper, just like you did in math. He said, learn how to work out a budget on paper. Learn how to work out a dream on paper. Learn how to work out anything you were. He says, just take paper and start writing. He said, if you can work it out on paper prayerfully, God will make a way. You're going to find this week, just because some of you are already doing this, and so you may not need this, but some of you may. But I had someone draw these up for me. They've got the formulas in them and everything. You can download them on the app. But here's a personal financial plan or a budget for you. All you got to do is download it. It's easy. All the numbers you plug in. Here's a personal financial profile for you. All you got to do is put the numbers into that. And there's, here's a monthly ledger so you keep up with what you're spending. In other words, what you're doing is you're choosing a godly plan and not going, oh, one day I want to own my own house debt-free. I meet people that have been telling me that for 20-something years. I meet people who are telling me the same dream, and they're no closer to that dream today than they were 30 years ago because they've never worked out a plan. They have wishful thinking. They're hoping that one day somebody's going to knock on the door like the sweepstakes and somebody's going to come in and bless them. The Bible says in Proverbs 21 and verse 5, let's read this one together. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Let's read that again. Good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. What is God saying? God doesn't want you to live in poverty. God wants to prosper you. Now, understand, some are tenfold, some are fivefold, some are onefold. So we don't compare ourselves to one another, but God wants you living in a better place tomorrow than you're living today. Can you say amen to that? And how that happens is, is we choose a godly plan. Notice what I said, a godly plan. I want godly financial counseling in my life. I want godly marital counseling in my life. I want godly parental counseling in my life. And I want then to plan around those godly principles. It's the reason that every single week that I try to give you growth work so you can apply what we're saying. The last thing I want to be is a tin horn preacher pointing my finger at people saying, you ought to do this. I want to be a pastor and a shepherd that says, Here's what God's Word says. Here's how we can do it. And I like that phrase, we can do it. Say it with me. We can do it. One more time. We can do it. Now say this. I can do it. Wow, you said that with enthusiasm. How can I do it? I can do all things through Christ Jesus which strengthens me. Can we give him one more hand of praise? Isn't that exciting? If it's his plan... He gives us the power to do it. Secondly, choose discipline over desire. Oh, nobody likes that word, discipline. I happen to love that word. People tell me sometimes, oh, I, I, a budget, it just, that's so constraining. Which is more constraining, poverty or prosperity? Let me say it again. Which is more constraining, 
poverty or prosperity. You see, when we choose discipline over desire, we're recognizing what the Bible says. Human desire is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. And so I may satisfy desire today, but tomorrow I'm going to have those same desires. As a matter of fact, I can satisfy some desires in the morning, and by that afternoon, I, you know, I'm ready all over again. You know, I just, if when it comes to food, there are certain things I have to be careful of. We're going to be doing the Daniel plan this year together as a congregation during our 40-day fast, and we're going to learn about not only discipline our appetites, we're going to learn about discipline in our thought lives, we're going to learn about discipline uh, our decisions. It's, it's, it's a great plan to live. I have started, my family and I are going to kind of do it together. I have already started in that. And this morning, I noted while I was getting ready, I'm already feeling the difference physically and emotionally from implementing some of those decisions that are in the Daniel plan. You see, discipline may seem unpleasant at the time, but the reward of it is always beneficial and pleasant to us. Look at Proverbs 21 and verse 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Now, I want to make an application here. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and I know what this is talking about is olive oil. But I want you just to bear with me. If this bears witness with your spirit, receive it. If it doesn't, it's no loss to you or loss to me. But it's what I'm praying over my family, and it's what I'm praying over this church. The Bible says that people who choose discipline over human desire, that precious treasure and oil are in a wise man or a wise church's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. When I think about what the Bible says about true riches, true riches, my friends, is not silver and gold and precious stone. True riches are lost people coming to know Jesus Christ. True riches are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. True riches are the kingdom of heaven. True riches are the gifts of the Spirit. True riches are healthy whole families. True riches are thriving marriages. True riches is peace and patience and love and joy and the Holy Spirit. I'm asking God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives as we learn to choose godly discipline over human desires. Will anybody else agree with me on that this morning? If so, let's praise him for it. Those are true riches. And for Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11, we are praying too that you will be filled with mighty, glorious strength so that you can keep going no matter what happens, always full of joy of the Holy Spirit always full of joy. Isn't that what we just looked at from Thanksgiving to Christmas, how God gives us joy in our pain, God gives us joy in our grief, God gives us joy in our loss. God wants us to be filled with joy so that we are filled with His strength. Again, remember, it is God who gives you, gives me the desire and the power to do what is pleasing to Him. Number three, choose faith over risk. Choose faith over risk. Sometimes you have to make decisions by faith in God. I have never come to a point in my life, and this is just a personal testimony, Becky and I have never come to a point in our life where we've had to make a radical decision that it did not take faith. 
And when we chose faith over what it seemed like the natural thing would be, God always blessed that decision in faith. Look at Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 16. The wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. Fools plunge ahead into the casinos. Fools plunge ahead into risky investments. Fools plunge ahead into areas that the wise would stop and go, now wait just a second. What does the Bible have to say about this? This week, somebody asked me, what is Woodland Church all about? And so I began to tell them our vision. I began to tell them our values. And, and I told them, I said, and when we're faced with a major decision, we not only as a church do this, but we teach our families to do this. What does the Bible say? And I said, when we know what the Bible says, we can make our decisions confidently. If we don't know what the Scripture says about that, then we dig right into the Word of God, and God's Word guides us around danger. Listen to this. Don't miss this. Those of you listening online, would you have the Holy Spirit in your heart? When God is working in you to give you not only the desire, but the power, and you judge that by the Word of God that is living and active, it is not like any other book that exists in the world. It is God's creative. It is God's sovereign Word. It is God's work at work in you, healing you, saving you, sanctifying you, freeing you, empowering you. You avoid danger, and you achieve good success in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, somebody give the Lord a hand of praise for that. What did God tell Joshua? If you will meditate in my word, if you will abide in my word, then I will give you good success. Somebody recently called me to go to our church, but they've been listening online. And they said, can you define for me what you mean by good success and bad success? And I said, well, that's really easy. Good success is when you build your life. I'm okay. My watch is telling me I'm having a heart attack. I'm not having a heart attack. This thing, I'm going to have to quit wearing it while I preach. I'm okay. It's trying to call 911. I am okay. By the way... There was a rumor out recently that I was dying. As far as I know, I'm not dying. I am doing very, very well. <laughs> Isn't that right? Yeah. Where was I at? Having a heart attack. Oh, good success and bad success. Thank God for notes. Bad success. You may achieve success in the world and miss the kingdom of heaven. You may achieve financial success. You may achieve career success. You may achieve all your dreams that you have, but if you don't put Christ first in your life and you build your success upon other people's failures, you build your success upon hurting other people, you build your success on anything other than the kingdom, when the storms of life come, your life will collapse. And I said, does that make sense to you? And the individual said, yeah, I think so. And I said, what are you questioning? He goes, well, does the Bible have something to say about this? And he began listing a number of things. I said, the Bible has something to say about every 
major decision you're going to face in life. Now, the Bible is not going to tell you what address you ought to have, but the Bible is going to give you good counsel about the kind of home you can afford. We got really good advice when we were building our first home. And the advice was this. Don't build more house than you can afford to decorate and landscape. And so when you drive through a subdivision and you see a house with no landscaping, they bought more house than they can afford. When you drive and you go visit somebody and they have a beautiful home, but they have no furniture, they bought more house than they can afford. And so I, I said, but yeah, but what about we're growing? He says, nope. By now, what you can afford, you can always sell it and go move up. But by now, what you can afford so you can enjoy what you have and you can enjoy living in your home. Nobody can enjoy living in a big, empty house if there's no food in the pantry and there's no beds to sleep on. Can you say amen? You may have a big house. So the Bible doesn't necessarily tell you what address you have. And then I think the individual got it, and we've had another conversation since then. Look at what Jesus says, and this is a long passage, and I'm trying to finish on time, but this is a long passage, but you need to hear what Jesus says. Jesus says to you and to me, he says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Now stop. This morning, I'm drinking a glass of water at the sink, and I look out in our backyard, and there's a whole flock of doves. They're out there pecking in the ground, getting whatever's in the ground. And I thought about this passage, and I says, Lord, thank you for giving me this picture in the midst of January. There's this flock of birds that you're caring for, and they look totally happy doing what doves do, just pecking in the ground. You're happy when you do what God's created you to do, and you find that God will provide your needs when you're doing what God created you to do. That's why we encourage you to get through the shape interviews at church so you discover your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences, and use them for the glory of God. Somebody say amen. Now, I shouldn't have interrupted Jesus, but I did, so let's get back to it here. So he says to you about the doves, he says, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today, thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Now, that's what God is asking us. Why do you have so little faith? Say that with me. Why do you have so little faith? That's a question every one of us need to grapple with. Why isn't our faith growing if it's not growing? Why isn't our faith increasing? Are we doing wishful thinking or are we doing godly planning? Are we choosing godly desires or are we choosing human desires? Why isn't your faith not growing? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, drink, wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. 
But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. How do I apply that? Number one, ask God for help. You have not because you ask not. There are so many miracles that I believe are waiting if people will just ask. Now, how do I apply that? I pray for it before I pay for it. Let me say it again. I pray for it before I pay for it. Say that with me. Pray for it before I pay for it. One more time. Pray for it before I pay for it. If I pray about something before I make that purchase, generally if I go to Becky and say, I'm praying about this, I'm immediately going to hear what the word of the Lord is. She's quick to say, well, this is what we're dealing with. This is what we have. In other words, pray for it before you pay for it. Stay joined to me, John 15, verse 7. Stay joined to me. Let my teachings become part of you. Let my teachings become part of you. Let me say it again. Let my teachings become part of you. Then you can pray for whatever you want, and your prayer will be answered. If you joined us for prayer service last night, I told the story. Do you remember the days when we could go to a blockbuster and rent a video? Remember the VCR tapes? How many of you don't know what I'm talking about? Okay, most of you don't. Somebody wanted to borrow my number to go rent. They didn't have a membership. I said, no problem. I wrote down my number and I gave it to them. Well, in a little while, I got a call from the video store, Blockbuster. And they said, "Um, did you give so-and-so, they gave the person's name, your number? And I go, yeah. And I said, I told them they could use my account. They says, well, we didn't rent to him because he's renting wanting to rent pornographic movies, and we told him we know you and you would never rent those kind of movies. What did he try to do? He tried to ask him my name for something that I, he knew or the store knew I would not give him. You can be assured of this. When you pray according to the will of God, your prayers are going to be answered. But if you pray outside the will of God, you don't want your prayer answered anyway, do you? Oh, I didn't get an amen right there. When you pray in the will of God, you can rest assured your prayer is going to be answered. But if you pray outside the will of God, you don't want your prayers answered, do you? Amen. In other words, they said, Pastor Clanton would never rent these movies, so we're not going to rent you the movies. Even though you've got his name and number, you're asking outside of his... That's exciting to me. I'm sorry. I love it that God doesn't answer my ungodly prayers, but he answers my prayers that are in line with his will. Let's give him a hand of praise for that this morning. Come on, victory. (laughs) Secondly, I'd say practice faith giving. Just glorify God with all your wealth. Honor him with your very best. With every increase that comes to you, then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of joy. Learn to give by faith. Be honest. Be honest. I never want to hear that folks in our church have been dishonest. God cares about honesty in the workplace. Your business is his business. Your business is his. You can never say to God, that's none of your business. 
Your business is his business. And then the most important thing I can say to you this morning is choose to trust God with your life. If you want to make the best financial decision you've ever made, the best life decision you ever made, trust God with your life. Jesus says to each of us, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You see, to apply that verse just simply means this. That when you give your heart to Christ and you recognize, you recognize and you say with all the rest of us, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I know that makes some people mad. But it's the truth about your life. I get mad when I hear people have been diagnosed with cancer. I get mad when I hear people have been diagnosed with heart disease. But that doesn't change the fact that they have cancer or heart disease. So then what we do is we go to prayer, we get the right medical treatment, we make the right decisions based upon the truth of our life. And inside every single one of us, there is this recognition. Something's not right in my life. If the Denmark Hamilton, is that, that his last name, the NFL player that was just injured, I posted a video of teams praying on my Facebook. If that has showed me anything, there are people who claim to be atheists, who've been moved with compassion, that are reaching out to God for his healing and for his recovery. And thank God he seems to be recovering. I should preach this again, but 20-something years ago, I wrote a message called, Does God Believe in Atheist? And in that message, I said, God believes in you, whether you believe in him or not. God believes in you. And you know there's something wrong in your life. That morning, our church had worked hard. There were several atheists in our services. Every single one of them prayed and crossed the line that morning, except for one girl. She sat right here, Lorraine, where you're sitting, and somebody bought her, and she's first time in her life she'd ever sat down in front of a church. Her parents were atheists. They were professors at the University of Michigan. Her brother was a professor at Stanford. Her whole family were atheists. Her grandparents were atheists. And that morning, she didn't cross the line. I, I didn't know she wasn't a Christian. I just knew she was sitting right there. And if you're sitting down front, I usually assume you love Jesus Christ. You know, if you're sitting in the back, I have questions about you, okay? But if you're sitting down front, Dale, I, I, you need to know, I, I feel like you're saved. But that morning, she was sitting right there. Next Sunday morning, she came back, and she sat back there where atheists usually normally would sit. That morning, she crossed the line and gave her heart to Jesus Christ. She gave her heart to Jesus. Later, we got to know each other. She was at our home for dinner one night with some of her friends, and her parents were angry with her. Her father was angry with her. Her grandparents were angry with her. 
Her brother thought she had lost her ever-loving mind, but she says, for the first time in my life, I have peace, and I know there's a God. She says, I've known since I was little that there is a God. I want you to know God believes in you. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins. That's why when we took communion earlier this morning, as Pastor Corey led us, we're not better than other people. We just have our sins forgiven, and we have a hope in the future. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, the Bible says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, say it out loud with me, congregation, you will be saved. Say it again. You will be saved. Would you stand with me this morning, and I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for whoever's listening, for everyone that is here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will touch And I pray that, God, we will sense your fatherly love, your fatherly compassion, that you have not come to judge or condemn the world, but that through Christ we might be saved, our sins be forgiven, and that we might know you, holy God, that we're not in this life alone. So if that's you, would you just simply pray this prayer with me this morning? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you gave your life for me, that you died so that my sins could be forgiven, your innocence for my sin. And I know that God raised you from the dead on the third day. And I confess, Jesus, that you are the master and the ruler of my life. I confess you as Lord. So receive me now as I commit my life to you in Jesus' holy name. And if you're here this morning, you prayed that prayer with me, would you just lift up your hand and let me know? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hallelujah. God bless you. God bless you. Wow. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? I mean, I'm telling you, God is so good. I, if you prayed online with me this morning, would you please let me know? You can email us at info at Woodland Church. I've got something I want to send to you. I had so much fun talking with folks this week who gave their hearts to Christ last week. I love you. We want to help you grow. And if you just reach out to us, I promise you we'll reach back to you in love in the name of Jesus. Well, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you in good health. May the Lord help you to trust the desires that he's working in you. And then you know that God gives you power to do all things through Christ Jesus. And may you prosper and be successful in all you do. God bless you. Go in peace this morning.